0: Welcome to Fantastic Books and How to Read Them.
1: The fantasy book review podcast by this couple who's read more than a couple of fantastic books.
0: We're your hosts, Sam and Anna, and let's see what we're reading this week. Welcome back, fantastic listeners. This is Sam and Anna. Happy holidays, and Yay! we are so excited to be entering this set of chapters in Wise Man's Fear.
1: We've left the boring chapters behind. Woo! <laughs>
0: <laughs> Not necessarily boring, but definitely least exciting
1: compared to how action-packed these upcoming chapters are. It doesn't hold a candle to it. Let's oh, yeah. be honest. So we will be covering chapters eighty six through ninety two. This chapter and or this episode
0: are about to get heavy.
1: It's about to go down. <sighs> are, there's so much in here. Do you have any announcements before we get the ball rolling?
0: Um, uh, just a few. As we posted earlier on social media and on our page, we just wanted to let you all know that if um you need a palate cleanse, we've recently started an interesting book, Winter Set Hollow. And we've put out our first episode there, so if you're interested in some fantasy, definitely give that a listen.
1: Yeah, so we're going to be doing some mini-series al- series alongside our regular season-long book analyses. So these are a little bit quicker, we won't get as in-depth as them as the way we do with The Name of the Wind. So this one's probably going to be about five episodes long, covering this new dark fantasy book called Winterset Hollow by Jonathan Edward Durham, and we just put out episode one of that this week so that'll be coming out uh weekly on mondays throughout december it is really exciting so far so definitely check it out if you're so inclined please support the author buy the book and follow along with us or give it as a holiday gift i highly recommend it so far we haven't finished it but i'm hooked
0: yeah and the writing style is fantastic like i really didn't know what to expect i thought oh this might be good but genuinely love his writing style
1: Yeah, he's got a similar kind of style to Patrick Rothfuss, I think, in terms of his vocabulary and the way he structures scenes and characters. It's very poetic prose, the way that Patrick Rothfuss is known for writing. So I think our fans who like Wise Man's Fear are really going to enjoy his writing as well. So
0: without further ado, we're going to jump back into what we know and love. And we're going to start with chapter 86, The Broken Road.
1: As ha- had been established previously, the characters are just sitting around the fire every night telling stories. They've been telling stories about Oren Velsider, Laniel Young Again, and Ilian, so all characters we've heard peppered in throughout. They're kind of like big names. We know that Oren Velsider, um, his story was also told by Chronicler. Chronicler said he's done 200 years of living and 500 if you count all the lies, but he got his story done in two days and Kvots is taking three. So that's just something I had remembered from the beginning. And then Laniel Young again is a woman. She's a female adventurer who goes out to like have adventures and make fame after she's done raising her children. Patrick Rothfuss is actually giving her her own whole book. Really? So I guess he'd been writing it. It was supposed to be similar lengthwise to The Slow Regard of Silent Things. And it's turning into something much longer. It takes place about 150 to 200 years before Name of the Wind. He got so into it, he was like writing it, it's turning into a full novel essentially. And um was told to shelve that until he finishes Doors of Stone. So he was about two thirds of the way done with the Young Again story, and he's now refocusing on Doors of Stone, according to his editor. We'll see. That's really <laughs> but interesting. But I'm really excited to yeah. read that when it comes out because I really liked Slow Regard of Silent Things. That's I love that premise.
0: We always get, in fantasy, a young protagonist. It's always coming of age. It's always, like, 16 to young adult. So for somebody to have a whole adulthood of living and kind of reinvent themselves and do something new is so refreshing. And I think there's going to be such a wisdom in that, but also naivete. Because, like, if you had spent your adult life kind of living a certain way and you're reinventing yourself... I think that's a really interesting concept. I like that a lot. I'm I excited to see how that's explored.
1: Especially because women are often if they're the heroes, they're written as like becoming here to protect their family or protect their children. So if like she's raised her children, they're all grown up and gone. And then she gets a chance at being a hero. I think that's a really fun take on that character. And obviously, we know Ilion is Kavoth's like hero and
0: is considered to be almost like a god within the Ademaru. He's Notorious
1: for his talent
0: and his ability to sing and write songs and play instruments. I really think that Kavoth aspires to be like Ilian and like Tarberlin in a way.
1: I think he wants to just be every hero all wrapped up in one. Yeah, I mean,
0: I think that's the downfall of vanity. Like, what are you willing to sacrifice in order to be the greatest and most remembered?
1: I think eventually it's going to catch up with him, though. Like I said, I think... Kavoth's pride and his hubris are going to be his downfall. Yeah. But yeah, they're telling all these stories. They're telling stories about swineherds, herds, tinker's sons, fairies, demons, riddle games, all sorts of fun things. Kavoth, obviously being a Demaru, and he says he's a Demaru down to the center of his bones, but he knows his mom is not a Demaru. So it's interesting that he's like, I'm the most Demaru of all the Demaru, but knows that only one of his parents is a de-maru. I think it's
0: more than just blood for him obviously it's like identifying for sure but you know his father is of like the troop and
1: no i understand what he's saying it's just interesting that he
0: disengages like what potentiality his mother's bloodline brings
1: right because our theory obviously is that he's a lackless yeah and he never ever even thinks to think about his mother's family i don't know just thought it was interesting mm-hmm So because he is a Demaru, though, he knows all the stories, or he says at least he knows the shape of them. So he knows pretty much how all the stories are going to go. Nothing's surprising. He still enjoys it. It's a comforting routine for him. Until on the 20th night, Hespi tells a story that Kavoth has never heard before. Yes. The story of Jax, also known as Eax, when we hear it from Felurian. And in one fan theory I saw online, potentially related to the Jaxus family
0: interesting never heard that
1: I'd never heard that either so I don't know someone was putting out that maybe the jackas family is descendant from jacks and kavoth is descended from the lacklaces and somehow they might all come from the same like origin character
0: that's pretty cool
1: yeah so kind of two sides of the same coin mm. But uh, Hesby starts telling this story of Jax, who is a lonely, unlucky boy who lives at an old house at the end of a broken road. Daedon immediately interrupts, and he's like, what's a broken road? Have you ever been to Rhode Island? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I think our state has one of the worst. Like, infrastructure roads? It's definitely some of the biggest potholes I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> Craters. But, uh, regardless... They, for once, don't pick a fight, and she gets back into the story. Yes. And in the story, Jax does not act like a normal boy. He's not happy. He doesn't laugh. People have different reasons in the story for thinking why. Some people say it's because he has no family. Some say it's because he has some fairy blood in him. Either way, everyone knows that he's unlucky. Like Every time anything good happens to him, it ends up getting ruined. So they say like if he gets a shirt, it gets a hole in it. If he gets some candy, it falls on the ground. So he always has some difficulties until a tinker comes down the road to Jax's house. The tinker asks him for a drink and Jax brings it to him. And when he does, the tinker says that Jax does not look happy and tries to talk to him and start cheering him up. What ends up happening is they strike a deal. And in this deal, Jax says that if there's something in the tinker's packs that make him happy, he will...
0: He offers his house.
1: Yeah, sorry. He goes to give the Tinker his house. If there's nothing, then the Tinker has to give him everything, including his own hat and, like, his walking stick. I think it's probably in bad taste to make a deal with a Tinker. Especially a greedy deal. It's a very greedy deal, and Jax is kind of a jerk in this whole situation. Oh, yeah. So, the Tinker has three packs. The contents of the packs are increasingly nice. So the first pack is, like, pretty simple stuff. There's marbles there's ball and cup game Oh, um, can we talk
0: about that for <laughs> one minute absolutely i love martin's disdain
1: for ball and cup i agree with him 100 percent. it is the most boring game
0: but it's funny because he's like nobody in their right mind enjoys a ball and cup it's a stupid game but it's it just no of course it sucks you probably attempt to play it for like 35 seconds and then you're like okay but I just, I like that for some reason, there's just such a, like, a loathing for it from his <laughs> perspective.
1: It's true. Uh, um, <laughs> I, you know, I can't really blame him. Um, in the second pack is... Book of Secrets,
0: a piece of iron that fell from the sky, so like a meteor.
1: I think that's a lodestone. stone.
0: Ooh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. Mm-hmm. That's I'm intrigued
1: by the Book of Secrets. That sounds awesome.
0: So, so secretive.
1: What kind of secrets are in there? Mm. And then there's definitely some like
0: mechanical things like a
1: soldier that walks around, but nothing unfortunately pleases Jax. He just constantly is like, no, no, I don't like that. I'm not happy with that. So the Tinker gets nervous he's going to have to open his last pack because it only has three items in it and they're his most valuable and he only shows them to the wealthiest of his customers. Mm. But just as he's going to reach for the third pack, Jax points at a pair of spectacles or eyeglasses. When he puts them on, Jax is not really impressed. He's like, eh, things look the same. Yeah. Until he looks up at the sky and sees stars and the moon and says he's never seen them before. So I don't think he has very good eyesight. (laughs) Well, it did say he was unlucky. Maybe he's, what is it, farsighted if you can't see things far away?
0: Nearsighted.
1: Maybe he can't see them.
0: Yeah, so. Thus, a whole new world has been opened up to him
1: but that is not enough to make him happy he wants to own the things that he can see he wants the moon for himself which like (laughs) what a stupid kid (laughs) yeah that's i feel like the epitome
0: of child logic right here
1: well i just feel also like if you made this deal where you have to be happy with something couldn't you just pretend to not be happy with anything and win the deal
0: it's an unfair advantage but granted this is just a story
1: I know. I know it's a story. And I know that you and I have a theory that all of the stories in this world are connected. Yes. So uh, Jax's like, situation with maybe lack of sight could be somehow connected with Solito's one eye and giving up his sight for a greater sight, Eartha Cathay's ability to see into the future. So like, there's lots of things with sight in other stories as well. Mm. But Jax decides that owning the moon will make him happy. The Tinker counters by saying that the moon belongs only to herself. She doesn't belong to anyone, but mm. Jax is like, well, fine, I don't care what you have to say. I'm going to take your walking stick and your packs because you've clearly lost the bet, and I'm going to go off hunting for the moon. The Tinker even wants to keep his hat, but Jax is like, no, you should have not gambled it away if you thought it was like that important. Ugh, what a snot-nosed brat. And even Tempy, like grumbles about it
0: i think some things go over his head just because of a cultural difference but this is something he knows very well is never to like piss off a tinker
1: well that's what i was about to bring up is he does have a lot of issues with like language barrier and not knowing what's going on but even the adem know, so this is something that crosses like all cultures yeah which leads into our theory about tinkers maybe being something more important than they seem to be
0: Yeah, not sure what, but they definitely have a certain societal status.
1: Yeah, across all societies, which is wild. Yeah. Yeah, he's rude to the tinker, which is not maybe the best thing to do. (laughs) In response, the tinker is like, I hope you choke on whatever's in that third pack then. Yeah. Like, good. Jax deserves this. He's being such a brat. Jax decides, I guess, to...
0: Basically go on to the adventure of making the moon his and how to, like, get to her.
1: Yeah, but he does decide to give the broken house to the Tinker, even though he didn't technically win it in the deal. But because he's going to go off on an adventure, he lets the Tinker have his house, which, like, I guess is nice, but it's kind of... Consolation prize. Yeah, it's still not great. Hesby says he's, like, walking and walking, searching endlessly. And, of course, she's interrupted by Don who compares their situation to Jax's situation.
0: <laughs> to be fair, he kind of nails his, like... Doesn't that sound just a little too familiar? Oh,
1: yeah, he's right on the head. But even though Martin and Tempe have already interrupted, for some reason, Daydon's interruption is, like, too much for Hesby. She gets really annoyed. De Don points out that everyone else interrupted, but he's clearly, like, upsetting the group because yeah. he's complaining about their situation, and he gets every chance he can to, like, moan and bitch and complain about being out in the woods and, like, roughing it out here. And everyone's like, look, we just wanted to have a nice story not think about that for half an hour and you're ruining it. <laughs> and even Kvoth jumps in and Daydon lashes out at him and he's like, stop talking to me like I'm a child. <laughs> and thank goodness this whole situation is diffused by Tempe because Daedon says, if the mayor had known how hairy your balls were, Kavoth, he wouldn't have put you in charge. And Kavoth has a bit of a comeback, but then Tempe breaks in and asks what balls are. <laughs> And then asks why the mayor is looking at people's hairy balls. <laughs> so the situation is completely diffused.
0: Yeah, everyone just has like a full and like uproar of laughter and
1: like all the tension just like gets funneled into this laugh attack. Tempe's really clever. He uses the little hand motion for satisfaction. So I think he did it on purpose. Yes. Like he knew what he was doing. He's learned enough of. The language to know that he was helping, and with this diffused situation, Daedon is like, "All right," asks Haspi to, to to resume her story, but she says she has to do it tomorrow because once she starts, she can't like restart in the middle. Yeah, it's hard for her to remember. So the situation is diffused, thankfully, although the the group's coming to heads. More and more often, they're all getting on each other's nerves. They're all bickering and fighting. Everyone's patience is wearing very thin. But they agree that tomorrow she will finish the story. Chapter 87, the Lathani.
0: This is a good chapter. This
1: is a really good chapter. Kavoth and Tempe are going back to Crescent, the nearby town, to get supplies. Side quest. (laughs) (laughs) As they're walking, they're, like, trading words in the different languages back and forth, continuing their lessons. And this kind of interesting moment happens where Tempe is having a conversation with Kavoth out loud, but is using his hand signals to signify something completely different. He hears something rustling in the woods and basically is, like, signaling, like, alarm and suspicion, but having a conversation out loud, pretending he doesn't notice it because they're worried about um, getting jumped. right. It turns out just to be a couple of deer, so <laughs> they're pretty embarrassed. During this moment, though, Kavoth has this like sudden realization of how underprepared he is out here. Like Tempi draws his sword, but Kavoth realizes he has like nothing except yeah, for like a baby sympathy. Knife? And he doesn't even have himself set up to use like he has nothing to use for a link or a source of heat or energy. So he's not really prepared.
0: No, and he even thinks to himself, he's like, now I understand why Kilvin would say people would pay like an arm and a leg for the arrow catch. Yeah. like Guaranteed safety. I
1: wish he had the arrow catch with him. I know. That would change things so much. But alas, Alas. it's back at the university. So yeah, they're, they're surprised and startled, but it ends up just being some deer. Tempe uses his fingers to... Signify embarrassment, and this is kind of the first hint we get that maybe Chumby's not quite as good at some things as he is made out to be. As an ADEM mercenary, he didn't know who was in the bushes, but he could probably have, like, figured out it wasn't people.
0: Maybe I mean they are hunting bandits, so they kind of have their dog ears up.
1: Right. I'm just saying, like, you know, when in the future when Kvothe goes to ADEMRE, he realizes that. Tempe is not really like seen as a very good mercenary. Like this is the kind of first time we get a hint that he isn't actually maybe quite as good as he could be. Mm. Um, But then he really doubles down and has a great comeback moment in the town of Crescent. So Crescent's like pretty small, but it's like just enough of a town for travelers and they are restocking on supplies. There's a couple of, helpful types of places there's like a livery and a farrier a little church that's also a brewery and of course there's an inn called the laughing moon which is funny considering
0: the story they this, just went over yeah
1: this chapter is sandwiched by the story of eax or jack's finding the moon and when they go in kavoth had brought his loot and he was really hoping that he could play and get free lunch in exchange but when he goes in it is like super uncomfortable Everyone seems to be really grumpy and there's a weird tension in the air. And he realizes that like he really wanted to play not only for the free lunch, but because the enforced like silence of being in the woods was really starting to wear on him. So this has been about a month since he's been able to play his lute. If you think about how upset he is now versus now in the frame story as coat, how many years he's been without music. That's a huge difference for his character. Just
0: soul crushing.
1: Yeah, yeah. So they're running out of money, uh, and they walk into this tavern where there's just a really weird atmosphere.
0: Yeah, no, so much tension and frustration, and even the serving folk are like, what do you want? We don't have time for this.
1: Yep. So they order their lunch, and they're talking to this guy as they wait for their food. He's like, look, everyone's here looking for work, but there's too many folk getting like killed off in the woods lately, so people are getting kind of edgy. People want work, but, like, nobody's paying well enough, so, like, tensions are high. That guy ends up eating and then leaving, and this other guy who was he had been talking to ends up coming over to Kavoth and Tempe and, like, starts pushing buttons immediately.
0: Yeah, and guy's all big dick energy.
1: Yep, so he's like, oh, how much money do you make talking to Tempe? Because he's wearing his mercenary reds again now that he's in the town. Tempe is having trouble understanding this guy. So Kavoth's trying to help interpret it's not going very well because this guy's trying to like be pushy and then getting mad at Kavoth every time Kavoth jumps into the conversation, but then Tempe's not understanding. So it's really awkward. Tempe also doesn't really understand that this guy's trying to pick a fight with him. No. So he apparently makes about 20 times the amount of money that a regular person, a regular mercenary would make on Damn. A, a regular day. Even though Tempe understands that he would be worth about four or five people in a fight. That's what he explains. So the people are still mad that he makes way more money than they do. Kvothe tries to like diffuse the situation a little bit. And this guy just is like, look, if you interrupt me again, I will knock your teeth right out of your head.
0: Yeah, it's like a pretty scary threat.
1: Yeah, he's not. And it's not like an empty threat. Like Kvothe feels like this is very real what's going to happen. Um, But Tempe says, like, they're buying me, they're buying this, and he goes up his hands, and then he points to his sword, and he goes, like, they're buying this, and then he points to his mercenary reds, and they're buying this. So, like, his hand combat, his sword combat, his reputation as an Adem mercenary, and as we find out, they're also buying the Lathani, like, which is sort of a philosophy, the guiding philosophy of Adem mercenaries, but, you know, you're paying for more than just how much manpower are you worth. Yeah. So, the guy is not impressed with this response, and he's like, fine, and calls Tempy's mother a whore, and Tempe thanks him. Yeah. <laughs> so, it makes the guy even more angry. The guy's like, look, fine, I'm going to, like hit you so hard like your dick's gonna be on backwards like he's getting really (laughs) confusing and poor tempe's not following i
0: love this line though he goes is he attempting to buy sex with me or does he wish to fight
1: (laughs) (laughs) which is great like tempe's really good at these like miscommunication jokes yes and i don't know if he's doing them on purpose now like the same with the balls like i think he kind of knows what he's doing but it helps a lot like the whole bar laughs <laughs> but Kaboth says, "Like, oh, he he wants to fight you." Tempe, of course, is like, "Why don't people say this? Why is there always this like back and forth, this talk? Like you guys are always yammering on. Like Daydon does the same thing. Like always a dog, check check check. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> check check check. But like, if you want to fight, just say so. Yeah. Tempe's like, "Look, I will fight you. Go get your friends. Get enough women to make you feel safe." And come and I will fight you.
0: I love that.
1: Me too. <laughs> so this guy goes against his friends, Brendan, Ven, and Jane. Two of them join him. The third person is like, look, I have seen an a mercenary fight and I'm a little too drunk. So like, I'm out. Yeah, I'm good. I love that he calls them blood shirts. Yes. Because of the Reds, which is like a really cool nickname. Yeah, good sling really good slang <laughs> but he knows what they're capable of so he immediately doesn't want to fight them Kavoth isn't really sure what to do here yeah, he's like he's definitely nervous he's super nervous he says he's seen a lot of fights like between the university bars and being a musician like he's been in the bars and performing at bars when he's seen a lot of things break out and he makes a big difference between like a barroom scuffle and and, like, taking someone out back to an alley and, like, beating the shit out of them. Yeah. And he's really nervous for Tempe. But at the same time, Tempe's super calm. And the calming effect that Tempe has kind of rubs off on Kavoth, And yeah. he's like, okay, like, maybe maybe things are good. Maybe it'll be all right. Tempe tells Kavoth, watch my back. Kavoth thinks he's making, like, an idiomatic expression. Like, oh, watch my back. Like, back me up. We find that Tempe's literally asking Kavoth to, like, watch his back back in his stance as he fights like look at him yes <laughs> so there's a little bit of confusion there the fight is crazy so also, i
0: love tempe here where he goes
1: oh there is only one woman yes <laughs> is enough you may bring one more
0: <laughs> and then I, I love like the insult she goes you swagger cock um, i'll show you what a woman can do in a fight and then tempe just nods politely because they have no idea like the best of the 8 warriors are women.
1: Yeah. So he thinks that's like a respectful thing. Yeah. She takes it as an insult, but he still thinks he can take at least one more woman. One thing I've noticed about Patrick Rothfuss is sometimes he'll have like slang words that come up in like clumps. Mm. So like swagger cock has come up multiple times throughout the past like few chapters, but it doesn't come up before or after that that much. So it's almost like he's discovered a new word or something.
0: It's like, (laughs) it's going to exist here.
1: Yeah, like this set of chapters here will use this word. And then we'll use a different one, a different section. That's just me picking up on (laughs) weird writing things. Tempe says that this is his first fight of this sort. So as soon as he says that, I got a little panicky and Kavoth definitely gets a little (laughs) panicky. A (laughs) really cold
0: sweat, just like, shit.
1: Yep. So he takes out a knife, and he's, like, holding it under the table, but that's all he's got. He doesn't know what to do. Tempy's like, oh, Kavoth, like, how do we begin these fights? Like, what's the proper procedure? And this, the little leader of this group comes up, and he's like, well, this is how it's gonna go. Like, we're gonna beat you to shit, and then we're gonna take you out back, and then we're gonna do it again. And he goes to, like, swing his forehead yeah, down like into Tempy's face, I think, with the intent of, like, shattering his nose, And this is the crazy part. So Tempe doesn't do anything, from what Kavoth can see, but instead this guy literally just like slams his head down. But then he—he's the one who comes up with his face all covered in blood, and Tempe's fine. Yep. And then Tempe turns and kicks the woman in the hip. He hits her like exactly on the side of her head, and she just like folds up and falls on the ground, all crumpled. Yep. One of the guys gets his hands on Tempe, but Tempe like does some kind of crazy thing and like gets a hold of the guy's arms and like pulls him behind his back.
0: They all like switcheroo. <laughs>
1: yep. And then like kicks his legs out from underneath him. So like it's so quick. Kavoth even says like it happened so fast he didn't even know what to do. The amount of time it took for him to describe this fight was much slower than the fight itself actually happened. <laughs> so then Tam, the, the guy who started the fight this whole time, Tempy like just hits him in the side of the head with like very precise hit. And Kvoth calls it the most polite punch he'd ever seen. Yes. <laughs> so all three of them are knocked out. Tempe definitely has the respect of the crowd now at this point. And even one person says that they wouldn't blame him if he kicked the mercenaries while they were like out cold because they've done it to people plenty of times. Yeah. But Tempe's like, no, no. I did what I said I was going to do and I'm going to like just go back to eating my lunch. Yep. The first thing he says to Kvothe... Did you watch my back? Yes. <laughs> so Kvoth realized it was, it wasn't just a turn of phrase. He wanted him to physically watch his back. He realizes that Tempe stood very straight the whole time, like his back was very straight. Tempe says that like Kavoth is tilted to one side when he does his katon, and that's why he's still having trouble with it. So it's a teaching moment. Unfortunately, he also sees in this moment Kavoth holding a knife under the table, and he is very upset. He actually frowns with his face, which Quoth says is terrifying. He signals with his hands vast disapproval. Yeah, and just says they will speak on this later. So he's playing the "I'm not mad, I'm disappointed" card. Oh, it always hurts. So it hurts much so bad, all. and Kvoth is definitely feeling it. Oh yeah, just
0: dog with his tail between his legs. Just yeah, like, mm.
1: very upset. So they walk in silence for hours until Tempe finally says, "Like they have to talk." They have to talk about the lethani So Kavoth inside is like, Stoke. Yes, yes, I can finally learn. Like I it was the one thing he'd asked that offended Tempi a lot, so he didn't want to bring it up again.
0: All secrets.
1: Uh, a book of secrets. <laughs> Kavoth does say, like, I thought you said I should not ask about the Lithani, but Tempi's like, Well I love this. I'm not sure, but like you kind of need to know. But and I love this because he literally goes,
0: serious, Tempe looked at me for a long moment and then burst out laughing. I don't know. And I can't tell you. <laughs> Still, you must speak on it. Because like, I think it's one of those things where it's like a nervous laughter and like a forbidden thing.
1: I think it's also the fact that he doesn't know how to actually describe what the Lothani is. He doesn't have words for it. So the whole idea of it is just like so preposterous that he starts laughing. So he asks Kvothe to tell him what Kvothe knows about the Lathani. And I I love this, because Kvothe knows the stories about Lathani being like a secret armor that ADEM mercenaries wear, and they gather up all their words inside them. And Tempe thinks this is ridiculous. Oh yeah, he's
0: straight up like geeks. He's like, this is crazy talk.
1: Yeah, he's like, that's crazy, not natural, like, that's just absolutely so wrong. Kavoth's like, yeah, but I saw you fight today, and, like, what you did was something I didn't even believe could be done, so, I don't know, maybe, like, that is real. Tempe shows him exactly what he did do, so he he shows, like, these very subtle body movements that you can make that will change your fighting, so he goes and walks Kavoth through the whole process of the guy putting his head and going to smash into Tempe's face, and, like, how Tempe can angle his head just so, so the guy ends up hitting... The top of his head instead of Tempe's nose, shattering his own face on Tempe. So, like, it's just, like, very subtle strategic movements of the body. Kavoth is just like, oh, well, it was, like, so fast. I didn't know what it was. Yeah. <laughs> so he's, he's kind of embarrassed that he didn't understand. He tells Tempe he'd heard it in a story. And Tempe's like, well, you have fire in your hands. So I can understand why maybe you'd think that was, like, a real thing. The Lathani basically is, like, a philosophy it ends up being like a path of right and wrong. And there's a lot of like confusion. He's trying to use metaphors and similes to explain it. He's talking about a path. Kavoth keeps asking situations like, is it giving food to children who need it? Is it helping people? Is it not killing people? Is it fighting? Like, is it he's all
0: different trying things? to talk about it in terms of morality in black and white, where like the Lothani is gray, where it's literally intuitively doing the right thing at the right time. And it's not necessarily about for morality's sake
1: yeah it's more of a philosophy and a way of understanding the world and like living in it and reacting to it than a sense of law or code which is the way gavoth is trying to understand it so again it's like him trying to learn from (laughs) eloden get straight answers when there isn't one and one thing that really confuses him is that tempe says to be first with the knife is not of the Lathani. If you win and are first with the knife, you do not win. Mm. So it's almost like honor. Yeah. But not. One thing that I did find while I was doing a lot of research is that the Lathani is very similar to Chinese Taoism. Okay. Which is a semi-philosophical school. It overlaps with religion, but I'm not really sure of like the distinction. So there is a Reddit page that breaks it down but basically what they are saying on that one my summary is that in Taoism the Tao is neither straight nor winding so that's kind of like how Tempe describes the mountain path that you're on yeah and it is simultaneously both is and is not the natural order of all things so like all things follow the natural order but you can also go off the natural order And the only way to get back on and find the Tao again is through meditation, introspection and study of yourself until all of your actions follow the Tao. So it sounds really similar to the Lathani. And what's interesting is like to truly follow the Tao is to do so without knowing it because then it's become a part of yourself. And at the end of this, Kavoth says he doesn't understand and Tepi says, it's good that you do not know. And that is also of the Lathani, like knowing that you don't know. yes. So it's very confusing philosophically. Kubo struggles with it a lot. There's also a lot of parallels between the Kaitan and Tai Chi, because Tai Chi is the martial art that embodies the Tao. So there's a oh. lot of like almost direct things that were taken from Taoism culture and used for the Adam culture. So some people use that as a critique of the book. But also some people say that maybe Patrick Rothfuss didn't know like all of what Taoism was and just kind of pulled a lot of philosophies together to create Bilithani. But I was, I was reminded a lot. I just read a book on ancient Greece. Tempe says it's good Kvoth does not know. It really reminds me of that famous line. The only thing I know is that I do not know. Yeah, it's like in
0: that there's wisdom.
1: (laughs) Right. So a lot of it's just like the path of your life and making choices to find like the right way to do things. But Kvoth is very perplexed by this whole thing.
0: Well, I feel like with his mind and his training and his experiences, It's always been ways, especially language and absolutes.
1: Yeah, I think that's why Kavoth is a really good artificer. He follows a lot in Kilvin's paths in terms of how he understands the world. But he has more of an artistic mind to it with his music. But I don't think he grasps abstract concepts as well as maybe he thinks he does. He struggles with them a lot when they are presented to him, whether it's naming or shaping or the Lathani. He likes kind of direct real-world correlations to things. He likes puzzles and logic more so than open-ended thought. Oh,
0: yeah. And, like, you can't even blame him because that's literally his upbringing completely. Between Abanthe and music, it was very structured, very, in a way, right or wrong.
1: Yeah, and he's good at learning that way. He has a, definitely that kind of brain.
0: So it's interesting to see him struggle with the opposite of that.
1: Chapter 88. Listening. This chapter continues Hespie's story of Jax, picks up where he is still searching for the moon. At this point in time, the moon is always full because there is no fey realm that pulls it in and causes it to go through phases. So Jax is always following a full moon and he walks for years and years and grows up into a man and he basically provides for himself by pulling out of the Tinker's packs.
0: Right, and he like sells the items that are in it in order to be able to provide for himself.
1: Yeah, so he is following the road through Tinue, and this is pretty interesting. So it says, all the roads lead to Tinue, and he walked following the Great Stone Road, but literally in the front of the book, the map is not showing uh, the Great Stone Road going through Tinue at all. Mm. They're not near each other.
0: Maybe the map has changed over
1: time. Maybe, I don't know. Or
0: is it like an expression, like almost like all roads lead to home, like Tinue is not an actual location, it's just like a place of being?
1: Well, we said that originally in one of our episodes, but I was incorrect. It is on the map. It's the free city of Tinue, it's just north of Vintas, between Vintas and Modeg. Okay. And the Great Stone Road does not run particularly near it at all.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: So I don't, I don't know. Is Tinue a place that changes? Is Tinue some kind of connection between the Great Stone Road and the Fey Realm or something? I don't don't know. And why do all the roads go there? Is it super important for some reason? Or is it just a turn of expression?
0: Adds to the mystery.
1: Again, more questions. More questions. So eventually he climbs up into the mountains and finds an old man sitting in the mouth of a cave. Who, from what we can tell, is basically like a philosopher type person who's also a namer or a shaper and he says he is there to study listening he's listening to the ways of the world um i don't know if this man is supposed to be Tekum, the philosopher
0: Ooh, i didn't even think about that
1: yeah so apparently according to the cathay jacks spoke to tecum before he pulled the moon into the fae so the only two people we know that he's spoken to in this story are the philosopher and the tanker. So one of those two is potentially Tecum.
0: Right. Plus, there is a quote from Kavoth uh, stating that Tecum knew the shape of the world. Right. Because he's a listener. Thus, we get the chapter title, plus everyone's listening to Hesby's story. So double meaning there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely an interesting concept that this person could be more important than just a literary device.
1: Yeah, because they, they make him seem like a literary device. He says he went out chasing the wind, so he's an arcanist, and he is studying listening, um, and he just gives Jax some advice. What it comes down to is that Jax is trying to find the moon, and the man says that he's having a hard time because he isn't listening, and Jax's heart is broken, and he's never had a chance to use it. So he's he feels really bad for him. yeah. But he also kind of warns Jax that he needs to stop and learn and listen instead of constantly chasing the moon. He needs to, uh, his end goal, instead of getting to the moon, should be talking to the moon and meeting her versus catching her and holding her.
0: Yeah. And he's like, you could just try listening.
1: Right. One little aside I love in this is that when he's talking about Jax's interactions with the moon, he says that Jax should make sure the moon loves him back. Otherwise, you'll bring about no end of trouble chasing it and Hespi does not look at Dedan, and Dedan looks, like, very upset and helpless in this moment because they are both been chasing each other and ending up with more trouble than it seems to be worth. Yeah. So For the irony,
0: the yeah. dramatic irony.
1: <laughs> yeah. I love that. And Jax is pretty insistent, and at one point he's like, no, I don't want to wait and learn to listen with you because the old man offers to teach Jax listening, which is very, again, similar to Eloden teaching Kavoth to learn. And he's like, no, no, it'll take too long. If I can catch her, I can make... And then he gets cut off. But, like, making somebody do anything is a bad idea. So the fact that Jax thinks he can make the moon love him or make the moon stay with him is a really not good way to approach this whole situation. No. Which is, again, why the old man says, like, you need to get the moon to come to you. You can't force her to do anything.
0: Good love advice in just general... (laughs)
1: Yeah, I think it's really good advice to just assume you can't force people to do anything or make people do what you expect them to do or what you want them to do. Yeah. So I love this, though. Jax is, again, not really listening to old man. And the guy's described as like he's a listener, but he knows once he's not being heard. And Jax is not not hearing him for sure. No, not at all. Instead, what he decides to do is help Jax open his third pack, the one that Jax has never been able to open, and the one with the most valuable things in it.
0: Yeah, sweet uh, mystery bag number three.
1: Yeah, and there's some really cool stuff in here. So the old man talks to the knot, or listens to the knot on the bag, and the knot is pretty upset because Jax tried to cut at it and wasn't listening to the knot itself, and instead the old man politely asks the knot to untie itself, and it does. Inside are three different things. A flute made of green stone, a small iron box, and a bent piece of wood. So Jax is, of course, as he always is, very unimpressed with everything.
0: Yeah, he just cannot be, like, content. No. It's just his character. Like, everything is a burning desire.
1: But not even, like, a desire with a payoff. Like, he's just, like, wants things for no clear reason. Yeah. I don't know.
0: I like that... (sighs) They gave these, gave the not human qualities, like a personification, and I love the fact that he had to use naming to open it up, Mm -hmm. so very Tarbell and the Great, like Edro, like opening it up.
1: Ooh, yeah, 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 yeah. Very cool. And even the objects that are in the pack, the hermit is listening to them, and he says they're shouting, like they have so much to them which reminds me a lot of how Ori interacts with objects in The Slow Regard of Silent Things, so like yeah. listening to the objects themselves. So the piece of wood is actually a folding house, so it's a house that's been folded down really, really, really tiny. Jack starts to try to unfold it, and the guy's like, no, 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 don't... <laughs> yeah, not here. <laughs> don't unfold it inside my cave. I don't want you blocking out the sunlight. And Jack's perpetually reminds you of someone who has this power... That he doesn't know how to wield and doesn't want to learn how to wield, and it's just too powerful for him, but he thinks he is in control of it.
0: Yeah, he's very stubborn and like kind of ignorant.
1: Yeah, like he's not learning the proper ways to do things. And I like that this chapter is tied in with the lathani of like learning the ways of the world and how to manage your like responsibility to things, whereas Jack's just like blundering through life and like almost builds a house in this guy's cave and like ends up doing all this stuff that's like not what he's supposed to be doing.
0: Yeah, it's very much doing something well, doing it right. Mhm. There's a lot of people we know in real life that behave this way, so it's a very um realistic? More than realistic. Um, hmm, we'll tell what I'm looking for. People can relate to it very well.
1: Mm, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see. Cuz like you mean not that.
0: everyone's perfect. Not everyone's doing it the right way. Some people are just doing their best and like them doing it messy is just the way they do it.
1: And he's all about his end result. He's not about the process. No. Again, like Kavoth wanting to learn naming, though
0: <sighs> stubborn boy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so many stubborn boys in these chapters. The second item is the flute, and he blows it. makes a ta ta dee ta ta dee, which is the uh, the Will's widow or the nightjar, which is the same
0: whistle, whistle that Kavoth made.
1: Kavoth wanted to use earlier. So again, some more weird parallels happening. A bunch of birds fly down, even though it's daytime. So it seems to be more than a typical flute. And the box is empty. The hermit explains that like it's the emptiest thing he's ever heard. And it's meant for keeping things inside. And Jax seems pretty unimpressed with this, but he ends up using it to his advantage later. Right. Jax is just pretty set on moving on. The hermit again asks one last time if he just wanted to learn to listen. It would take not too long, maybe some months or years. But Jax is like, nope, I'm too busy. I have to go. I've been on my quest for the moon. And that's my goal. Yeah. So he goes off. He ends up climbing all the way to the top of these stairs and building the folding house, and it creates his mansion. But again, Jack's not being able to control the things or the power that he has, builds it all wrong. So there's, like, staircases that don't go anywhere. Sometimes you'd look out of a window in a room, and it would be sunshine and spring, and then you'd look out of a window in the same room, and it would be wintertime. So it's very strange, and almost all the fan theories point to this being the creation of the fey realm especially when kvothe goes into the fey realm we can see a lot of similarities between the way this house
0: certain areas are night and day and it's messy and confusing but it's literally because it's basically the creation of chaos and like when you start a new world in the beginning it's bound to be chaos
1: yeah it's really cool so that house might be just like an allegory It definitely is. I mean, this whole thing is a bit of an allegory, which is why it's like trying to get to the root of what the actual events were. Yeah. Because now the moon does go into the Fey Realm, quote unquote. It goes through its phases. Like, we know there is some origin to this. But Jax goes up to the top of a tower on his house and starts singing a song on the flute. The moon eventually comes down to him and they're talking she and him actually get along pretty well, it seems. Um, but she says, like, she has to go, but she will always return. Yeah, like, this guy is my home. Yeah, I love it. She's like, I am always and I am unchanging. But if you play your flute for me, I will visit you again. Jax is not content with this again. He's just very, like, me, 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 me. And he's like, but I've given you three things, a song, a home and my heart. If you're going to go, you have to give me three things in return. Yeah. He first asked to, like, hold her hand and she agrees. I love that she says, like, one hand clasps another, and I grant your request. Like, it's given freely. Then he asks for a kiss, and then he asks for her name. It seems like she was not expecting him to ask that. It seems like she was expecting him to ask for her body. Yeah. But she's like, oh, only my name. And, of course, I'm like, no, not your name. Mm-hmm. Only, only your name? Like, you idiot. And he grabs it and shuts it inside the iron box. But because Jax is luckless he doesn't quite catch her whole name inside. Mm -hmm. So she's his for part of the time and can go back to the sky for the part of the time. And that explains the moon's movement through the mortal realm and the fae realm, going back and forth between the two, going through the phases. This story reminds me a lot of, like, the Hades and Persephone story of, like, she has to spend six months in the underworld and six months in the human world. I did do a lot of research trying to figure out what the moon's name might mean. So she says her name is Ludus, um... From what I can tell, it means the only name that came up was like a Romanian name or something.
0: Interesting. Um,
1: And it means fame or warrior. It is also related to the Latin word ludus, L-U-D-U-S, which means games.
0: Mm. So
1: (laughs) I can't really tell. No, that's
0: hard to interpret because you could go way off the rails on it and be like, well, games, you know.
1: They're playing like mind games with each other or like there's all sorts of stuff.
0: I mean, I think they just really didn't want to go for the obvious big, my name's Luna. You know what
1: I mean? Right. I was just trying to, names are so important. Yeah. So I was trying to figure out what this might mean. I think so far I've been pretty unsuccessful at figuring out what that is. And the end of this story, like, Daydon loves it. He says that is a one hell of a story and I have to agree with him. Yeah. And Hespi says that she learned it from her mother who had learned it from her mother. And Daedon is like, well, make sure you tell it to your daughters too. That's too good of a story to lose.
0: And I feel like this is finally a moment where- They've clicked. They've clicked, but Daedon also has like, I don't even know, like a grace to him in this moment. Like usually he kind of just like bitches and moans. He's kind of crass. Like he's not a complete dunderhead, but he finally gets his timing right and shows that he's more than just like, The big, strong dum-dum.
1: Yeah, he has, like, an appreciation for this art and this story, and it really shows. And Kavoth even way at the beginning when he met him, said, Daedon has, like, wit about him, but he just... It's hard to see because he doesn't want to use it that often. Correct. Unfortunately, over the next few days, like, things go worse and worse and worse. Like, Martin gets sick. Tempean has to get into a fight because... Tempe sees her naked and he's sitting naked. They're like washing in the stream, and then Daedon tries to jump in, but like doesn't know what to do because he doesn't want to fight Tempe while he's naked. And like, <laughs> then it starts raining and it doesn't stop raining. It's foggy and damp, and everyone is in a horrible mood. That was just like the calm before the storm. Yeah, no, for sure. I did want to make a tiny, I just wrote a list of parallels at the end of this chapter. So Eax and Kavoth are my like first parallel, followed by the moon. And Ori being a second parallel.
0: Yeah, she's always described in, like, the way of the moon.
1: Yeah, and Kvote doesn't necessarily own her name, but he gave her a new name, so he does have some sort of control over her name, the way that Eax has control over the moon. Um, The flute and the lute to lure both of them out. Ooh. And the folding house and the under thing are very similar to each other, too. Wow.
0: Great parallels. I never put those together, and I really enjoy that.
1: Thanks. Yeah, I don't really know uh, wow. ha- how much of it is intentional and how much of it actually like clicks into the pieces of the story, mm. but there's a lot of layers to everything.
0: Oh, for sure. And like you know how much research and digging we do, so it's, I'm, not, I'm glad to still get some surprises. <laughs> chapter 89, Losing the Light.
1: They're losing literal light in this chapter, and they're also losing all of their hope. Yeah, in this for chapter. sure. <laughs> Things are miserable
0: dire straits for sure yeah weather's uh, been crap everyone's feeling like crap martin's getting sick the food gets wet like it's just it's not good
1: the wet bread reminded me last night our dinner went bad by accident
0: (laughs) well it's only it went bad we made chili but it was like in a metal bowl instead of ceramic so it's like
1: there was some reaction with tomatoes in the metal and it came out disgusting regardless uh, just like break. when Kavos says if you've ever tried to eat a piece of wet bread after a day of walking in the rain you know what sort of mood it puts you in and we were in a pretty grumpy mood after that happened to our dinner so I can't yeah. even imagine being stuck out in the rain all the time and then having like wet soggy bread to eat and that's it.
0: Ugh. <laughs> Literally just sad for dinner. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so they've actually been there 29 days, which is awful. Kavoth's boots have been soaking wet for the past several days.
0: Yeah, like you can't even get them dried.
1: Yep, even using a little bit of sympathy, things aren't going well. And he gets back to the camp on this day, and daydan and Hespie are sitting across from each other, like not looking at each other, arms folded, and the fire is between them, and it is dead. And Kavoth is livid. Yeah, he's like... Why is the fire out? He just, like, starts calling them children. He's like, do I need to go get a child to babysit you? Like, you're acting, like, useless. Like, a trained dog would be more help. Like, he just goes, like, he has no patience left. So Kavoth orders Dedan to go get some firewood, and he starts trying to get the fire back going. Tempi comes in, and even Kavoth says he's probably too busy to have noticed something odd in Tempi's movements but then again maybe he just didn't know enough of the hand language to pick up but like there's something a little weird going on with Tempi. we find out in the next few paragraphs he says he was attacked by two men and he killed them and he like waited a little while to bring out this news so like dude speak up you yeah. gotta give this information out they're a little distracted because martin came in and he's like close to having pneumonia and Tempe said he was just waiting for everyone to get back there and he was also collecting his thoughts like he Despite being a mercenary, like, killing people is not easy, and he doesn't seem to like it. No. So he was kind of rattled. But he says that he killed two men not too far from there.
0: <laughs> Literally the biggest facepalm in the entire universe was just like, Why did you mention this sooner? <laughs> yeah. And, like, poor Tempe is just like, I'm sensitive.
1: I know. Don asks what they look like, and Tempe gives, like, really weird descriptions. Like, he describes, like their movements, and their swords. Not really their physical description or like what kind of armor they had or anything, but they are actually less than one mile away from where they're all camping right now. So people get really excited. Martin said they weren't there when he passed, which was just before Tempe, so they would have not been there long. What they end up deciding to do is that Kavoth wants to go with Tempe and Martin to look at them and leave Daydon and Hespi behind because he wants them to keep watch over the fire because he needs a source of heat for some sympathy and his plan is to go look and find the camp and then they're going to come back and like make a plan yeah of course day is not excited about this he's like what if we just get it over with tonight like we could all go i don't want to sit here behind but Kavoth, again really really losing his patience and then martin is like look we're losing light like we have to go no more arguing So they go off into the woods to find these bandits. And as we're going to find out over the next couple chapters, things don't really pan out the way they were expecting. They were just expecting, like Kubo said, to do a little bit of reconnaissance and then double back.
0: Yeah, not a full dive-in assault.
1: There's a full... a whole showdown. (laughs) Chapter Chapter 90. (laughs) Whoa! To sing a song about. That was some good unison we did there. That (laughs) was. So in this chapter... They get to the bandits that Tempi killed. Kvoth wants to look at them. And Tempi is like, no, you can't bother the dead. That's not of the Lathani. Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, Kavoth is like, like I said, everyone has lost all their patience. Like, they are not really following morality as much anymore as I think they would have at the beginning. Yeah, no,
0: courtesy out the window.
1: Right. So, Kavoth's like, look, I can learn from them. I just need to look. Tempi's worried he's going to perform magic on the bodies, which he really is not for. But... Tempe agrees. He makes Kavoth ask if he can look at them because they're his dead. And so he agrees to let Kavoth look at them. So he sees that they have some leather armor, but that's like really all he notices about what they have on their bodies. But they are definitely older than he expected, and they have a lot of calluses and scars on them. So they're like hired veteran mercenaries or people that have been fighting a long time. Like this isn't just like... A rebellious group that got together of like farmers and workers. Like this is people who are organized fighters. Yes,
0: as Cavolt says, they are veterans.
1: Yes. So Martin actually finds their trail. They left the trail pretty obviously. So I don't know if the bandits actually wanted them to find the trail this time, or if this just happened to be lucky. But Martin's like, why don't we follow it? Uh, It'll be easier for us to sneak up on, look at it in the rain because it's dark and you can't hear us as much. So they're going to use the Rain to their advantage. Tempe covers up the bodies, and they carry on.
0: And as they're continuing on, Kavoth and Martin notice, like, um, we're being followed.
1: Yeah, terrifying.
0: Good on Kavoth because he immediately is like, alright, like, you get on that ridge, like, hide behind this tree, they're gonna come forward any minute now, like, we're gonna ambush them.
1: Yeah, he's really fast-thinking in this moment. One thing that's really funny to me is, like, as he's making this plan, this- the storm is getting worse and worse, like lightning strikes and both getting a little bit nervous. Tempe's smiling and saying this is like his home. So I think he's feeling really in his element here.
0: Yeah, like adrenaline's rushing, but the winds are howling and the lightning's crackling, like very much the storm wall on a Mm-hmm.
1: So he sets up Tempe and Martin to do the ambush and he's like, oh, I'll just stay out of your way. Uh, you know, I don't have a lot of weapons and stuff, but in the back of his mind, like he's ready to use sympathy if he has to. Yeah,
0: a boy's ready to do some damage
1: yep so they're all waiting,
0: and of course, who comes trampling
1: in? oh my god, Hepie day on
0: <laughs> and like just I don't even know i
1: I just love
0: imagining Kavoth with like absolute incredul- like in- incredulity
1: <laughs> help me out incredulity oh no, i know in incredulity in- incredulous. Is it? I know. Is that not a word? Incredulous is the word. Incredulity is incredulousness? I think so. I swear we read books, you guys.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm articulate. (laughs) Either way, Kavolt is like out of his mind, exasperated, and completely over it, and like marches over to Daydon. He
1: calls their bluff first. He goes, shoot them, Martin.
0: Yeah. Dude's like so over it.
1: So pissed. One thing, too, actually, while they were standing there waiting, he realized that this is the like this is the first time he really, really thought and internalized about like his goal is to hunt and kill other men. Yes. Like he's never really killed anyone that's not been in self defense before. Mm-hmm. The only people he's killed are maybe one of the boys in Tarbian, but we never got the scene.
0: Yeah, it was like a grudge match and something went down.
1: Right. But Klose never like killed somebody aggressively in cold blood for a reason that's not a personal reason and isn't self defense. He was struggling with that.
0: This is a turning point for him as a person.
1: He changes so much after this. Yeah. Yeah. In this moment, he bluffs and tells Martin to shoot on and SV. <laughs> <laughs> and he is so mad that they are there. He immediately is like, get back to camp. If you were bandits, like, we would already be dead. I can't believe you left. Like, I gave you an order and you didn't stay. And he's like, what about the fire? Fire's out, of course. Fuck. Yeah he has no source of heat now
0: like two for two like idiots
1: Ugh, he's useless now which sucks mm-hmm. but then day has a pretty good point he's like look if we just take care of this tonight this can be over we could be back in Crescent tomorrow like dry fed warm bed yeah like- this is a month of huffing out in the wilderness and like this rain is unrelenting martin is sick not good
0: yeah like we need to get this done and move on yeah and so, even though Kavoth is, like, so angry, he fully agrees with the logic, and he's like, fine.
1: Yeah, he says, only a fool fights the tide, because yes. everyone's starting to agree with Daydon. Like, people don't want to be out here anymore. No. They're ready to go. And so,
0: there's actually a really cool part here, just because forever, like, the Maru and putting on the theatrics.
1: Oh my god, this part is great. He has Daydon agree that he has to follow Kavot's orders exactly. And Daedon swears it, but then he's like, Daedon, you have to swear on your name. And he pulls this, like, little theatrical bit here that's so... Oh, I love it. It's very Tarble
0: the Great. It's a very storyteller, book of old magic, where he was like, you promise on your name and your power, you'll do as I say tonight without question or hesitation. And when he agrees, he uses sympathy to basically... I guess make him feel like tingly or like flush for a second.
1: Yeah, but Kavoth does a little like kind of mad dog thing where he's like, I have your name now, and gives him this like psycho smile. At the same time he does that sympathy thing. So he's unhinging. Yeah, and he smiles (laughs) and the
0: lightning flashes and then his face is back to normal as if it never happened. I'm like,
1: dude. So good. So good. Stone cold. Very well played. So Daydon's shook, to say the least. Yeah. And agrees. Kvothe's plan for everyone is that he and Martin and Tempe will go ahead and Dedan and Hespe have to follow 10 minutes behind them. And Martin's going to be scouting out the trail. They have to follow that trail because they don't want to all get separated. It's super dark. Yeah. So they're working in the night at this Plus point. Plus the
0: periodic flashes of lightning just kind of disorient you and leave you kind of blinded temporarily.
1: Yeah. So plans in action. Martin goes ahead. They're starting to follow him. And then Martin comes back he has found their camp like yeah it's go time pretty much
0: yeah no it's about to get real and it's super intense because as they're looking forward it's not just a camp it's like an encampment
1: it's bigger than they expect martin hasn't fully seen it yet because he didn't want to get too close but he's not really too worried and tempe doesn't seem worried but Kavoth again in his head is like nervous he doesn't even have the fire as a link anymore he realizes that like he's fairly unhelpful in this situation but he's a great again a great actor so he's like let's go rallies the troops forward essentially they're getting closer and closer they're creeping up this like bank in a flash of lightning they see a sentry martin shoots the guy and, and in the next flash of lightning like we'll see them, like down on the ground Martin had, like, a money shot. Like, he got this guy just, like, at the perfect angle to kill him, like, silently. Like, no one raised the alarm. The guy had, like, insta-death. It so was, the... like, a
0: heart shot between the ribs. It was, like, nuts.
1: Yeah. So that is the shot to sing a song about. Yes. Of the chapter title. Weirdly enough, Kvothe notices that Tempe's, like, whispering to the body of this maybe man they killed. I
0: think doing, like, a, not a prayer necessarily, but, like, a, 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 like, last rites.
1: Yeah, I think that's what he's inferring, but... Basically, he is wondering about that, but then he sees the camp and forgets about whatever Tempe was doing because it's about to go down. Chapter 91,
0: Flame, Thunder, Broken Tree, which is actually a great chapter title considering the turn of events. But one thing I did want to quickly talk about was um the name that Kavoth is given in his time in Ademre, Majra, Maedra, which means broken tree. Yeah. Interesting parallels here.
1: Many, many parallels in these chapters. Yes. (laughs) Almost too many. For example, in the first line it says they're crouched around a crescent-shaped ridge, and my (laughs) my note just circled crescent, and I go, the moon. (laughs) (laughs) So I was definitely pulling some parallels that maybe weren't there. As you said in the last chapter, this is basically like an encampment. This is a permanent place that they've been staying for a while. Yes. There's a good number of tents, benches, and there are all these poles in the area in the clearing that quote at first isn't really sure what they are. So he starts talking to Martin, guessing how many people are in the camp. Martin said that there's at least 10 if they're sleeping two to a tent, but the big tents could sleep maybe five more people and they could be sleeping four to a tent so there could be like up to 30 people
0: yeah so it's really tough odds right now
1: yeah they're not really sure they've killed three but that's still not really helping out the hunts in any way martin is pretty sure that there's at least 20 of them down there he just has like a gut feeling so that's a four to one ratio not looking good for our group
0: no martin's starting to panic which is like interesting because you know he's been a mercenary for a while he's been a hunter and of all the people, he's really losing his cool and Kavoth is the one that has to be like the grounding
1: rod. Well, I think their plan is that they're gonna leave. Yeah. Kavoth says, like, do you think you can convince Daedon that this isn't a good idea? We'll shoot as many as we can, like, from up top when we have the advantage, and then disappear until we can come back with a better situation. Yeah. Although if the group is still going to be a four to one ratio no matter what like there's probably not much they can do to give themselves an advantage yeah it is looking pretty bad is saying like they should kill some leave and then surprise them and maybe come back a different time they decide that they're going to have to go back and tell Daydon and hespy but when martin returns suddenly he tells Tempe and Kavoth that he can't find them so they must have gotten turned around following the wrong set of tracks. Now they don't know where they are. They're lost in the woods and they cannot communicate to Jadon and be that they're not going to go through with this fight right now.
0: Yeah. <sighs> so, okay, that's why Martin starts freaking out.
1: Yeah, because he doesn't want the group to get all divided and lost. So he, like he starts freaking out about that. And there's like this weird kind of like lull for this moment where they're not really sure what they're gonna do like everyone's kind of paused and panicked and then it's interrupted by a shout and screaming and swearing and it is day dawn he they can hear his voice from the other side of the camp so like they're across from each other on this ridge they're not really sure what's happening but all of the men down in the encampment come like running out the posts that were there that kavoth wasn't sure about they prop all these like boards against and basically like wall themselves in so they're really really well protected so, so the odds are
0: even worse now. Yeah, because like their Martin's bows and arrows really aren't going to do much unless he's a pristine shot.
1: And even then, if they shoot, if he shoots once, they know where they're coming from.
0: Yeah, so it really puts him in a precarious position.
1: Right. Tempe's basically useless, and so is Kavoth. So the three of them are up there, basically sitting ducks. Like they don't have any kind of way to attack. Mm hmm so kvothe of course is like this is the time when a skilled arcanist would have been able to give them an advantage yeah or do something but he has almost nothing he has no fire and no link and he can't do anything without both of those yeah so of course rain is coming down now more heavily um like things just keep getting worse and worse and worse for our little group so martin is like what if they're hurt what if they're like should we go get them should we help them and Cavoth just thinks in his mind, what if they're dead? And that thought, like, spurs him into action. And this shit is so cool. Yeah, no, he it's amazing. He goes into the Heart of Stone deeper than he has ever been in before. And if you ask me, he gets in a little too deep. Like, yeah, it's he like a trance. is kind of psychotic in the next few pages. Yeah, no, it's... A-
0: I don't know, nerding out. It's so cool, it's fascinating. And badass, but it's also like, dude, you're go like you are leaving your humanity behind. In like, this you moment. know, when
1: something is so shocking, you can't look away. Like that is this chapter. Yes. So Kovuth is like having what I could almost describe as like an out of body yeah, situation. Like he's totally it. not reacting to the fear that everyone else suddenly has. And his eye- idea here, he says, "Martin, may I use your dead?" And it's like an absent like question like so casually stated like oh what a psycho what a psychotic thing to say so he doesn't even wait for an answer he starts dragging the dead sentry up the hill yep and he is making connections between the sentry here using it as a link between the bandits down in the camp and he starts like stabbing the sentry cutting tendons stabbing it in the eye like oh so disgusting like
0: true terrible malfeasance
1: so gross and he's like just so distant from whatever he's doing Um, but he's
0: also so focused because he's like doing this and it's causing chaos among the bandits and they're getting disorganized and scrambling because they don't know what's causing their injuries and they're freaking the hell out which like imagine if you were standing next to
1: someone and they just started bleeding out of their eyes or like your throat could just get cut at any moment like oh god that's so fucked.
0: Oh, it's terrible. And like, even still, while Cavalta's doing all this, he's like telling Martin, like, don't shoot yet. Like, you yeah, know. he's
1: emotionally distant from what he's doing, but he's very in the moment. Yeah, it's nuts. And he starts to at one point, he tries to cut this dead sentry's throat trying to cut a real bandit's throat. Yeah. And the slippage is really, really bad here. So he's like basically cutting what he says. It feels like he's cutting through wood. Yeah. And the heat he's using is just the heat from his body. So this, despite it being a good link, is not very good sympathy.
0: No, and so uh, it's so intense. Like this, I feel like this chapter. The writing is done so well with like the rawness of the weather and the grisly nature, the violence. It's so primal and like tooth and nail for survival, and it's
1: it's scary almost. Yeah, like the and seeing everything in the flashes of lightning the way Cavill sees it is wild. So like uh, in this next moment, the lightning strikes and he sees what he did to that body and he's like oh i'm there's like blood everywhere like my hands are covered in blood and then he decides even in this moment he's unwilling to maim the hands of the dead guy because he's so protective of hands yeah
0: so he flips the body over
1: what a weird thing to do it's fine i'll gouge
0: someone's eyes out you know get liver. no no
1: i can't touch the hands
0: yeah like, yeah, it's 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 definitely... He's
1: in, like, a weird mania. Yes, that's, <laughs> that's the best way the to describe it. The only way I can it. describe this. Oh, my God, it's wild. It is crazy. So, yeah, he's running out of... Areas of vulnerability. <laughs> and energy. Like, he's, yeah. he's kind of sapping his strength. And in this moment, he's watching all of the confusion and the panic. People are running around. He's taking a couple of breaths. And this man comes out of the tent at the base of the tree wearing, like chain mail he's clearly the leader um yeah. and he like snaps orders yells at his men and they like get back into line so i don't know if he's like controlling them somehow
0: i think it's a little bit of like authoritative action but also i think there's an aura of power yeah in command it with seems it seems like
1: it because if people's eyes were just getting poked out by invisible things like n- you can't say anything to me that's not going to make me panic yeah <laughs> that's oh for so sure crazy Kavoth mentions several times throughout this chapter that the motions of this man are terribly familiar. Yes. And when I was first reading, I thought this was Cauticus.
0: Oh, interesting. I, that that would be a rational thought.
1: Because he'd mentioned a few times that like he's going to come up against Cauticus again. Codicus wanted revenge against the mayor. And he'd seen Cauticus recently enough where the motions would be familiar. Mm. But this is like deep, deep memory.
0: Core memory. Yeah.
1: So he, as we know, this is Cinder. Yeah. So, holy shit, he's facing one of the Shandrin right now without even realizing it. And he's basically taking this entire fight by himself. Like, Martin and Tempe are doing nothing. They can't do anything.
0: Eh, Martin gets a couple licks in.
1: A couple, but, like, 99% of this is Kvothe in this yeah. moment. Like, I know he talks a big talk, but I think this is one of the few times where it's warranted.
0: Yes. Our bandit leader, known as Cinder, makes his entrance, and Martin tells Kvothe that he's got an opportunity to take a good shot. And Kvothe is like, do it yeah so he shoots the arrow and literally just penetrates cleanly right into his thigh and he's like sticking out on the other end
1: but it doesn't seem to do anything Oh, this guy's
0: not even phased and that's like the intense part like he literally snaps the arrow on the other end and pulls it out
1: and then just keeps walking and
0: so martin like it's funny because we're getting all these like snippets to like the core of him and his personality here where he's very clearly superstitious and religious and he's panicking and just he literally feels like he's in god's hands now
1: yeah he starts praying he i love this great talu overrolled me with your wings that's a great phrase yeah but he is like convinced that he is up against some sort of demon or creature because no one should be able to take an arrow in the leg like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I, I love it because there's just such a intense spike of adrenaline and fear that gets shock through Martin, and it really ups the ante of, like, the fear and survival in danger with yeah, what's yeah, happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: The next thing that Kavoth does is he tells Tempe to bring the sentry's bow, so he's going to try a different link to slow down the fighting, and he uses the bow string against the arrows that are, or the bows that are being shot at them, and, like, cuts five yeah yeah he make breaks his mind into five tries to do it one more time but he's like reached his limit so he's able to cut five bowstrings down in the camp which buys him some time doesn't injure anyone but he's hoping that it gives him like one to two more bowmen to deal with in the next moment or so right unfortunately binder's chills are basically creeping up onto him like he is starting to feel hypothermic and so he gets out of the heart of stone pretty quickly and like he comes back Reeling. Yeah, he's
0: like, oh, shit. Like, like,
1: this is probably more than he could handle. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, he's, like, in such a dangerous and, like, vital position. Like, he is so vulnerable right now.
1: Yeah. So what he does, I'm a little confused by this. So in the next moment, he sticks his face up above the ridge to get a better look at what's going on now that he's out of the Heart of Stone. Yeah. Someone shoots an arrow at him, and, like, the wind blows it away. But then what he starts to do is stab the sentry's body over and over in a rage but he's not in the heart of stone and he's not still got sympathetic links going on right i think why is he stabbing the body
0: i think it's like a futile effort for him to either wake up his limbs or he's just in such survival denial mode that like concentration so foggy that he's just doing anything he can in that moment to hopefully make something happen
1: okay so he's just like kind of losing it.
0: Yeah, he's definitely losing I it. I wasn't
1: sure if I would misunderstood and he was still linked up the body with other people's, but I didn't think he was doing anything at that point. No,
0: I think he's just literally in denial and he's feeling out of control and out of power. So
1: cool. Cool. Yeah. cool, 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 like, cool. True, true, <laughs> true mania. Yikes. Um, I love this part. It's so cool. This part is so cool. So lightning lights up the sky one more time. And this gives Kavoth an idea, which makes him laugh, a terrible laugh, which I love that description. Yeah,
0: like, he's so, like, mad scientist. Like, you can just see the picture in your mind as you read this part.
1: Just, like, you know when cartoons and people have, like, they're, like, looking at, like, fire or whatever, and, like, the fire reflects in their eyes. Like, yeah. I just imagine, like, Kavoth's eyes going all white from looking at the lightning, and he's like, yes, ah, ha, ha 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 Oh, yeah, it's like
0: every, like, mad scientist like, ha ha ha, and there's always the lightning in the background.
1: Yeah, so he kicks martin yeah tells martin to get up there or they're all dead and starts like pulling martin up by his shirt martin is just like praying he's absolutely terrified he's in shock yes um he realizes that martin is seeing him like covered in blood it's like streaked all over because of the rain so he realizes martin's probably like understandably scared
0: yes and uh, so he tells Martin to shoot the tree, and he's kind of just looking like him, like looking at him as if he's gone crazy. Which, in a way, he kind of has.
1: Yeah, I think everyone's lost it in this moment. Yeah. Like when I first read this, I was so confused when Kavoth told Martin to shoot the tree. Yeah, I
0: had no idea what was happening.
1: I was not clear as to what's going on, but it is so cool. Martin shoots the arrow, but at the same time, he's also praying. Yeah, and I love this—the
0: way this scene is set up. There's such a. Um, attention that's being built up in confusion and I love the like the way it sequences out like it's almost like a movie that plays in your mind the way you're reading this.
1: Yes, it's so good. Kavoth is shouting at Martin, right? Like yeah. yelling. And he gets mad at Martin for praying like under his breath, yeah. saying that Cinder can hear them. Yeah. So I don't know if Martin is actually calling taylor's angels because Cinder looks like up into the sky and is searching for something up above them like looking around and that's the last thing that the shandrian did before they left Kavoth's troop yeah camp i don't know if the angels were coming if taylor's angels are coming if martin called them because i don't think he's actually hearing martin praying if kvoth's yelling he can definitely hear Kavoth.
0: yeah no i think part of it is like <laughs> i think one of those things where names still hold power so taylor's name does have like
1: I think something's going on here with like, the names. Like, I don't know if they
0: necessarily are summoning angels to aid them, but the Shandrian definitely don't like to hear his name.
1: Right. Well, if the Shandrian are real, I think we can assume the angels are real. Yeah. So, something's going on there. Storms are That's a-brewin'. more than what is, like, I'm trying to read between the lines a little bit. I think there's something interesting going on there. Yeah. Because, yeah, it says, their leader turned his head as if to search the sky for something. Something about the motion seemed terribly familiar, but my thoughts are growing muddy as Binder's chills tightened their grip. Ugh. So, if maybe if Kvothe's head was a little clearer, he could remember. But it's also been, like, years. Yeah. It's understandable he doesn't understand that this is Sinner. So, as Sinner looks up, he's uh, still yelling, like, shoot the tree, shoot the tree. Martin is a G here, like, shoots the air, wedges right into the trunk of the massive oak. It's, like, perfectly where both wanted it.
0: Yeah. Ugh, and I just love this whole part. <laughs> he was just like... Uh
1: he almost sacrifices himself here he's like the slippage alone in this is going to be bad grabs an arrow to create a binding we're still again not quite sure what's happening here he's
0: about to attempt
1: uh and he's like i'll probably go into shock shock soon perhaps i was already there like yes you are (laughs) You're definitely in shock he broke his mind six ways shouted his bindings and drives the arrow into the ground yells as above so below and then there's like this huge flash of lightning and Kavoth is unconscious. Ugh.
0: And like what a cliffhanger to like hang on to for that chapter. Like what just happened?
1: Chapter 92, Tarbalin the Great. Kavoth is awake, can hear people talking. It's an extraordinarily short chapter. Yes. Um, Martin is talking to Dedan, I'm assuming. Yes, he is. He's calling him Den, but... Martin's like, I'm not going to tell you what he did. Don't cross him. Like, I've seen him angry. Don't talk to me about it more. Like, wait until Kvothe's awake. And then he says, I think he called lightning down like God himself. And of course, Kvothe thinks, like Tarbalun the Great. And then he falls back asleep.
0: Smiles and sleeps.
1: What a smug little kid. Yeah, like literally.
0: (laughs) But like, this is a really interesting brief but short moment because obviously Martin's religious and was terrified but like to him like Kavoth is like the worst kind of witch or arcanist truly like dealing with like in his mind like blood magic calling down lightning.
1: I can't really blame him if you saw that if you saw somebody doing that like that's fucked up. Yeah. I would be terrified too and like he was already superstitious against it anyway. Mm-hmm. Kavoth had been like hiding his arcanist skills pretty well. Yeah but he just like let all hell loose and that's not something he would ever do at the university or anywhere else oh, like
0: absolutely not
1: that is malfeasance to the nth degree like that's not something you should ever do he disrespected the dead which i know tempe's not going to be happy about thankfully he saved his crew but like what was the cost yeah
0: like definitely your morality and part of your humanity are on the line there
1: for sure. And like you said, this is definitely a turning point for Kavoth. So from here on out, I think we start to see Kavoth less innocent and more aggressive and more bloody almost. Yeah. He's definitely a fighter now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he kind of takes justice into his own hands from here on out as well. So And that's the corruption of power. Yeah. And that's what we're finally seeing is that he's no
0: longer... The boy in Tarbian, he's no longer, like, the dewy-eyed student at the university. He's out in the ruthlessness of the real world, and he finally has true power, and, like, this is how he's starting to use it.
1: It's very much similar to, in my opinion, the Emir with their greater good. Yeah. Like, Kvothe is deciding what his own greater good is, and he's not answering to anyone right now. And look where that's taking him. Yeah,
0: very much, like, who watches the Watchmen.
1: Right, he's heading down a dark path. People try to step in, especially Tempe trying to teach him the Lothani, but I think Kavoth just starts to justify a lot of things on his own.
0: I think, unfortunately, this arrogance will, pun intended, be his folly, and we'll Mm. see where that descent into darkness goes.
1: Yeah, so lots coming up. I just found online today that you can read the short story, The Lightning Tree, so I'm going to see. I've never read that yet. It's a side story, I think, about Bost that Patrick Rothfuss has written. I'm not sure why it's called The Lightning Tree, but considering we just had this whole uh, showdown with The Lightning Tree, I'm going to see if those are related. So I will report back next week, hopefully, once I've finished reading that. And until then, happy reading. Thanks, listeners. If you're looking for more, check us out at fantasticbookspod.com, where we have book reviews, reading list suggestions, merch, and you can even send us a message.
0: Or find us on Facebook and Instagram at fantasticbookspod.com.
1: And if you like what you've been hearing, don't forget to leave us a review. Thanks.